everyone, and welcome to the Sunny Go One Piece podcast. On this episode, we're going to be diving into episodes 343 through 345, which will go over manga chapters 448 through 451. And at this point, a lot of crazy, mysterious things keep happening to our Straw Hats as they find themselves in a horror movie of their own. Alright, so synopsis. As the Straw Hats continue to dive deeper into the web of mysteries surrounding Thriller Bark and its inhabitants, they find themselves facing more and more threatening zombies. In addition, as the Straw Hats venture further and further into the island, crew members have seemingly started to disappear without a trace. So just a few differences between the manga and the anime this time. So in the manga, for Perona and Absalom, their introductions, they're given title cards that refer to their names and their epithets. In, uh, so in the manga, we actually get to see all of that. And so Absalom is introduced as the Hakabano Absalom or Absalom of the Graveyard. And Perona is introduced as the Ghost Princess. The other big change that happens in these episodes is that whole chase scene with Usopp and Nami being chased around by the animal zombies was pretty much added for the anime to pad out time. Specifically, the staircase chase scenes as well as the pillar jumping moments. Those are all fillers. Um, now, it's kind of cool that they do add a little bit more to this scene. Um, so I don't really necessarily have a problem with these fillers. But yeah, that's about it in terms of differences. So let's just jump right into the episodes themselves. And so, of course, in complete opposite fashion to the Scarefest that was when the Cowardly Trio encountered the zombies, as we pick up from the end of the last three episodes, this group of Star Hats make quick work of them with an awesome combo attack between the five of them, dubbing it the Six Million Belly, or I think it's just the Six Million Bell jackpot. Which is pretty cool, um, because yeah, I think added all three or all five of them added up, yeah, it does equal over six hundred million. And yeah, that's another theme you'll see in this arc that comes up is how Oda actually utilizes a lot of combo attacks and teamwork in this uh, in Thriller Bark, which is another reason why I really like this arc so much is because we get, do get to see a lot of those pairings, which is really fun. One of the things I really enjoy about the zombies, though, after they all get beaten up, they just talk all normally and have, like, a normal conversation, <laughs> as opposed to, like, r- zombies, you know, in other movies and media. But it's also, like, how plainly they answer questions like, what were you doing here? And they answer, we were rotting. <laughs> and yes, yes, we were rotting, too, is so funny. And... I also enjoyed that little detail of Luffy calling Chopper a reindeer-looking tanuki. Because even Luffy thinks it's easier to refer to Chopper as a tanuki, <laughs> even though Chopper hates being referred to as one. And although we do get an explanation as to why they speak normally instead of how you'd normally expect zombies, you know, how they are usually just grunting and stuff, uh, we are introduced to the big bat of this island. And this next scene is an amazing callback to my favorite joke from the past podcast as someone chases the Straw Hats after seeing how strong they were and Luffy's first reaction to this man is yet again thinking it's a gravely injured old man. (laughs) But this time, instead of being a zombie, he actually is a gravely injured old man. (laughs) Like, that's just pure genius. And I love that we get a little bit more mileage out of that joke. But yeah, it's from this man we finally begin to learn what is actually going on in Thriller Bark and who's behind all of this. It is a pirate named Gekko Moria, whose original bounty was even said to be higher than Luffy's current one, according to Robin. As we get further elaboration from her, 
This Moria is a Shibukai, and wow, we get our sixth named Shibukai member, and this guy at least has a higher bounty than Crocodile, which means he's definitely not a pushover. Whether he's on the level closer to their Crocodile or on the unreal side, which is Mihawk, is yet to be seen though, because clearly there is a difference in power in terms of Crocodile versus Mihawk, because Mi Zoro couldn't even touch Mihawk, and I don't think Luffy could have even beaten Mihawk either. Mihawk seems to be on a separate level than Crocodile, but who knows where like Kuma and um, Doflamingo kind of land in that. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see where Moria actually lands in that sort of scale. Also, Moria continues the trend of the Shibukai members being related to animals, except Moria actually has two. Obviously, Gecko sounds very similar to Gecko, as in the lizard in English. But when you take the last syllable of Gecko and you take the first two syllables of Moria, you get Komori, which is Japanese for bat, which is perfect for a gothic horror-themed island and arc. And something that I should also point out, and I'm actually not sure how the English dub folks pronounce it, because I don't think I've ever watched a dubbed episode of Thriller Bark, but... The subs spell Moria's name G-E-C-K-O, like the lizard, so gecko. But the way it's pronounced in Japanese, it's said slightly with a different intonation. There's like a, a sort of a harsh pause in the middle. Instead of gecko, it's gecko. So I'm probably going to pronounce it still gecko Moria instead of gecko Moria. Uh, it's a very minor difference, but it's just so something that I've gotten used to for over a decade. So I'm just going to keep calling him Gecko. Well, I'm probably just going to refer to him as Moria anyway. So, But anyways, the next scene where the old man begs Luffy and the others to help take down Moria to get his and the other people's shadows back is, really, is a really effective one. It's not only well written by Oda, but also well acted. And in case you can't recognize it, this old man is prayed is played by our old friend Keiichi Sonobe, who's notable for playing Whoopslap, Igaram, Terracotta, Captain McKinley. So he's played a lot of characters in One Piece already. And yet again, he gives an amazing performance, especially when the old man talks about how before he dies, he just wants to see the sun once more. And the animation and the directing is also really well done here too, particularly the emphasis on how the Straw Hats still have their shadows as it's highlighted by the spinning lantern, illuminating them in different angles, highlighting their shadows, which is a choice only seen in the anime, and only possible due to the medium of animation, which is a fantastic scene and a great artistic choice by the director here. Finally, getting to see the continuation of the cliffhanger from the last episode of the Cowardly Trio, they've been discovered by Hogback, and he mentions something called the Night Raid, where... When we cut back to all the defeated zombies, we see that their leader has been that invisible beast where he's revealed to be some sort of a man with beast parts merged into him named Absalom. And he most definitely has the invisibility devil fruit. And next, we're also introduced to the other major villain of the arc, the one that controls the ghost, the young girl named Perona, or the ghost princess. Also, if you notice, when we eventually see their re full reveals, we also get to see their respective zombie armies. And Absalom's are the grotesque looking ones, while Perona's zombies are made relatively cute stuffed animal looking ones, which match their epithets that's, which again, like I mentioned in the differences section, they're never actually revealed in the anime. But in the manga, 
the title card that introduces her as the ghost princess is fitting as she has a bunch of sentient animal followers, even if they're undead ones. <laughs> also, Perona has a trademark unique laugh that's very befitting of her devil fruit as she laughs. Hor, 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 hor. Uh, that'll become more clear as we learn about her devil fruit. Also, a bit of trivia about Absalom is back when the cowardly trio were in the carriage with Hilden, um, Nami notices that weird lion with the human face. And in one of the SBSs, Oda has confirmed that the lion's mouth that Absalom had was taken from this lion. However, Oda won't actually confirm whether the mouth on the lion used to belong to Absalom. And he seems to imply that it's not, though. So there's like a third animal somewhere on Thriller Bark with Absalom's jaw and mouth on it. It seems like a really weird trivia, but I thought I'd throw that in there since I remember that. We then finally get to see our first sneak peek at the main villain of the arc. It's only his bottom half and a classic upper half silhouette, but he's probably the biggest villain we've come across so far. I mean, this man seems massive. Then again, almost all of Luffy's opponents are like always three times bigger than he is. So this kind of, I guess, further adds to the intimidation factor. But getting back to that cliffhanger of the last episode, where Nami, Usopp, and Chopper are discovered by Dr. Hogback Shindri, and who we now know is a samurai called Duma. So we know he has a different name and appearance, but it's undeniable that not only does Duma sound like Brook, he says very similar things, and even pretty much introduces himself in the exact same way to Nami. And I will admit, when I was first reading this, I had no idea what could possibly be going on. But some of you smarter people out there have probably already figured it out based on the clues provided. I was just too stupid to pick up on it, or I just didn't want to think about it. And just kind of like reading just to be along for the ride. Hogback then drops a few interesting tidbits of information, and especially a name drop of a new potential island for the Strong Hats to visit in the future kind, like uh, Elbaf, the land of the giants, but this time a place called Wano Country, the land of the samurai, where Ryuma originally hailed from. Now, it'll be interesting to see if they ever make it to this island. I, of course, already know the answer to this, but um, his body has been turned into a more powerful zombie called a general zombie, which appear to be stronger zombies compared to the normal fodder zombies that we saw earlier. And he displays this strength in a flashy way right from the get-go as he does this sort of cliche anime slicing where he'll attack, but the recipient doesn't actually recoil from the attack until he's actually sheathed his sword. And then they go, (laughs) you know, that's a very common uh, trope in actually not just anime, but in Japanese, like the Jidaigeki, like those old samurai um, chambara shows. One thing about this scene, and and most other scenes that always stands out, is Oda's sort of reluctance to show Nami being wounded as much as possible. And if you notice, we get a full shot of Chopper and Usopp spitting up blood, but with Nami, you only get to see the back of her, and there's no blood. However, there is also an in-universe possible explanation for this, as Yuma clearly has a thing for beautiful women, just like Brooke did. It's possible he pulled his punches or slashes with Nami and didn't actually hurt her to the point of drawing blood, just kind of knocked her out. But anyways, we then return to the other group 
And I love that Oda isn't letting up on the antics of Luffy and all these strong characters just sort of waltzing through a horror-filled island, like some power fantasy that we all have imagined when watching a horror movie. And the first two things Luffy does when he gets to that mansion are hilarious. As he yells out, excuse me, or gomen kutasai, but then instead of waiting for a response or an invitation, he just immediately yells out, I'm coming in, or ojamashimasu, and of course Sanji yells at him saying, that's too fast! Because he doesn't even give them a chance to even respond or deny them entry. And kind of on a side note about the phrasing Luffy uses here, um, while not completely out of place in English, in in Japanese custom, when you approach someone's house or place, you say excuse me in a very specific way, which is gomen kudasai. And that's the thing that Luffy says. And the I'm coming in part or the ojamashimasu is something that you would often specifically say when entering someone's home or establishment, and it kind of translates more to sorry for the bother. The other funny thing he does is when he gets to the front door and finds it locked, he just he just punches a hole straight through the door handle and says, ah, it opened right up with Zoro sort of coming in behind him saying, I wouldn't call that just opening up. Then similarly with the rest of the island, they run into some horrors that terrified the cowardly trio, but again, they get to have some fun beating up beating the living crap out of all these like furniture zombies and another fun little tidbit is when Zoro does his nitoryu nigiri hirameki the zombie actually acknowledges that inigiri is a sushi which is i believe the first time anyone actually comments on the the food connection in universe to Zoro's names and <laughs> which i find really funny but after the battle is over it's revealed that Sanji is missing And it's not really clear when he actually disappears. But after going back over the manga and the anime episode, the last last time we actually saw him is when he's attacking the painting. And I also love how serious Luffy gets when his nakama are threatened. And he's pretty badass when he's threatening the zombies and Moria. But literally the very next second after this epic moment, he goes right back to picking his nose (laughs) and casually saying, ah, Sanji will be fine on his own for a while. Which again, just shows how much trust he has and in at least Sanji and Zoro because he never seems to worry when those two go missing. So a quick note about the next scene. Despite what one might think is with the zombie disco party scene, that is actually canon in the manga. It's not filler. There's an entire page dedicated to it in the manga with episode 344 ending with the reveal of the remaining general zombies being called forth by Absalom. So this whole thing is actually Oda's creation. And I'm not entirely sure what purpose it serves other than for him to just have fun and sort of reference, again, Michael Jackson. It's crazy to think that there may be like 15 of these like Duma-level zombies. But then again, I also got the feeling that they were quite not quite the same as Duma as he had a bit more attention paid to him So even he seems like a cut above even the normal general zombies. However, there is one other prominent general zombie that shows up here that's almost the polar opposite of Duma, which is the warthog-looking lady zombie, Lola, which at the moment seems to be a joke character that despite her supposed role being one of Absalom's subordinates, she seemingly is obsessed with marrying Absalom. She's even got a marriage license ready. (laughs) But one thing that gets demonstrated in all this sort of comedy is good character building for both characters, as well as the fact that Lola is strong. As she can keep Absalom on the back foot, Lola, despite her comedic introduction, 
may be more of an obstacle than she appears to be. We later find out what happened to the knocked out Nami, Usopp, and Chopper as they were able to be freed due to the zombie squirrels dropping the coffin and imprisoning, imprisoning them. And a nice character consistency is that Nami, when she steps out of the coffin, the first thing she notices is the ground being wet, deducing that it must have rained. And I love those little details. Like, you know, she doesn't need to say anything like that, but Oda makes sure to put that in there because, yeah, that, that is something that Nami, a person who's obsessed with the weather and and all of that, would notice. She, you know, she's in a dangerous situation, in an unknown situation. Of course, the first thing that she would sort of default to is what she knows best. As they begin to figure out what's going on and a bit of the geography of the island, Nami's focus turns to the fact that the -the jack-in-the-box monster mentioned that they don't store the treasure there, but that signaled to the ever-capitalist Nami that there is treasure somewhere on the island, and true to her character, even if her life is in danger, if there's a huge sum of money somewhere involved, she will find that courage to go after it, no matter who's on the other end of it. But before they can decide what to do next, they're confronted by a group of freakish-looking zombified animals. And these things are a combo of funny and freaky, but some of them can even be a little cute. But again, Oda gets to sort of flex his uh, artistic and creative and kind of weird imagination here. Chopper does his best to fight them off while Nami and Usopp just kind of run around. Eventually, they are overwhelmed and they all start to get attacked. But when Nami is about to be attacked by one of the zombies a new penguin-zombie-dog combination thing jumps in to save her and says that he won't attack a woman, even if it's an order from the master, in a voice that now sounds an awful lot like Sanji. And I'm sure at this point, many people have started to deduce what is happening. But again, just in case you want to remain spoiler-free, I won't say much more on that front. But yeah, between that reveal and the fact that Zoro has now gone missing in the mansion, things are starting to get a little serious as each member is being picked off one by one, which is another horror movie trope that is being played upon. Unfortunately, we won't get to see the answers to these mysteries till next episode and the next podcast, so we will end that there. If you did enjoy this, send me a like or comment, and if you want to join me on this journey of rewatching One Piece, please consider subscribing. Check out my Instagram and Twitter account at Podcast for more updates of when I post new episodes or see some pictures of my manga collection. Also, I've, I've been recently streaming on Twitch, so if you want to come chat or watch me play games, I'd be happy to see you at twitch.tv slash underscore underscore go. That's sunny with two underscores, go. And as always, I wanted to thank you for taking the time to listen to my podcast. A uh, small spoiler section today. And, um, but if you're not interested in hearing any of that, stay safe out there and I hope to see you on the next episode. Bye. Alrighty, so spoiler section, just kind of off the script here, but uh, there's a couple things I wanted to mention. The first is the mention of Wano Country. So, as well as sort of the Duma's legend of cutting down the flying dragon. Yeah, this is this is a big, big foreshadow. Like, I mean, you have Wano being mentioned here, and that not being really paid off until Punk Hazard, where we meet Momonosuke and um, Kinemon. And 
even then, we don't get to see Wano till, well, right now. I mean, that's where the anime is at the moment. And so having this sort of name drop is pretty huge. I mean, maybe not as huge as Elbaf, because we got a mention of Elbaf like a long time ago, and we still haven't been there in the anime or in the manga. And so I thought that was really cool um, how Oda just kind of like sets these islands up for a long time and doesn't get paid off. But the other thing, too, is the, sort of the, the legend of Duma that Hogback mentions about him cutting down a flying dragon would obviously be recreated not through Duma, but we see that with both Oden and Zoro, who would both go on to do to Kaido to some extent. Um, obviously, they don't cut him all the way down, but they do get slashes on him. And it's even possible that the legend is referring to Oden himself and not Duma. But I do think that seems kind of unlikely because Yuma seems to be far older than even Odin, which all of that took place 20 years ago. And Yuma seems like an ancient samurai, like even older than that, like maybe even like a hundred or so years or maybe like several decades prior to Odin. But it's unfortunate that we, we do get some follow-up on Yuma in Wano, especially when it comes to his sword, Shusui. But, yeah, I'm surprised that we didn't get more backstory on Yuma uh, while we were in, in um, Wano. The other thing I wanted to sort of lightly mention, because we'll talk more about this later on, but it's Lola. When Lola was introduced, I remember not really giving it much thought other than, oh, it's another joke character. But, my God, Oda really surprised me with how much depth and purpose Lola gave or how much Oda gave to Lola because Lola would not only serve to be a great friend to Nami but she is kind of like the linchpin holding together a lot of the whole cake island I mean just between yeah seeing seeing Lola and how she she was abandoned by Big Mom and then her relationship to Nami and then the Vibra card that basically helps helps them out while they're in Whole Cake Island. I mean, and then the fact that Lola's sister, Shifon, would go on to marry uh, Bedge. And it's just like this whole web of connections all started from this warthog zombie. And I just, I like looking back on this, it's just amazing what Lola went on to be. Um, we'll talk a little bit more specifically on, on all of that, especially her relationship with Nami as the, the arc goes on. But I just kind of wanted to acknowledge just between her introduction and what Lola would go on to represent and what purpose she would serve in the bigger story is just incredible to me. Uh, and I, at first I always I was kind of annoyed with Lola, but I would go on to really appreciate Lola and, and Chiffon to, to an extent as well. But yeah, that's kind of all I really wanted to talk about in the spoiler section. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening, and I hope to see you on the next episode. See ya!